0: to have you along for the ride thanks a lot for stopping by really glad to have this young lady back we we talked to her at least once a month and uh it's dr katie coolman dr Catherine coolman clinical psychologist how you doing doc good to see you
1: i'm wonderful pags how are
0: you i'm doing very well now a lot of my listeners and viewers go to your instagram can you step it up a bit
1: (laughs) uh i will i'll try my best we just had a conversation about this we rarely like
0: goats well, we rarely see you and it's your, it's not the goat Instagram. It's the Dr. Katie Kuhlman Instagram. So I appreciate you maybe looking into that. You might do it. You might not. We'll see. Um, I appreciate you coming on. I, I wanted to talk to you right off the top about something that happened between the last time we spoke and now. Um, and that's the president of the United States, the leader of the free world going out in front of this strange imagery. Now, I know the wide shot, there was blue, there was white and also the red, but in, in the shot where the president was speaking about the, Soul of America, he said. Um, He's standing there in a very blood-red background. He's got two military members, two Marines, poised behind him, which didn't make any sense. And then he talked about how half the country, he kept calling them MAGA Republicans. Well, anybody who voted for President Donald Trump in 2016 or 2020 believed in his slogan, MAGA, Make America Great Again. So he basically said 75, 76 million Americans are against freedom and liberty are a threat to democracy a threat uh, a threat to our country, they try to walk it back the next day, but as millions and millions of people watch that Doc, I mean that 's got to have some sort of psychological effect doesn 't it?
1: Well, I think that a large portion of of the right has believed for a long time that Joe Biden really doesn't understand them in their way of life, and I think this just confirmed everything that they already believed right that and now he is out here just outwardly verbalizing. What we all knew to be true, Um, and I'm assuming uh, these probably were not his own words unless he decided to ad-lib at some point, but it speaks to what the beliefs are within his administration, and that goes straight back to the president.
0: Well, he gave us mixed signals because he said in his inaugural speech... That he wanted to unify him. President for Democrats, President for Republicans, President for blue, President for red. Uh, and you're right, he didn't go off script. Somebody wrote that for him and he read it. And he read it rather well, although it was a horrible speech. Uh, if he goes off speech, we know what happens to him. He gets lost. So he's reading these words that literally say, here's the line. You're either here or you're there. And if you're there, you're bad. If you're there, you're good. I mean, that's really a dangerous line to walk. A- any idea just from your expertise? Why he would choose to do that? That was a plan. It wasn't by accident. They literally said, "We're going to box off these people and say they should not even take part in society."
1: Well, so I think that that the, the president, by and large, I think, is viewed as kind of weak um and i think that this was essentially a way for him to kind of show some force and maybe a little bit more assertiveness um because he typically just kind of like fumbles around he's just kind of an old guy yeah. and doesn't make a lot of sense a lot of the time but you're right he read that speech very well um and and he came off as forceful and he had like his fists up and yeah. So I think that, that that he was trying to send a, a message that he can be assertive and aggressive as president, but it came across horribly.
0: Uh, do you delve into things like this? Could it be because the midterms are likely to go to the Republicans? The House will certainly turn over. I don't think there's going to be any issue as long as people go and vote. The Senate might also. And then he would lose the power to push this very radical agenda. Could this be and again, psychologically for whoever wrote it, could this be their, their sort of last grasp of saying, we've got to either stop Republicans from voting, uh, from voting by saying that they're bad, or we've got to somehow energize Democrats to go and vote, or else these evil, horrible people will go and take the House and the Senate. It, this is about the election, is it not?
1: Well, I think so, and it could also be, you know, to your point, is also what about the independents who are unsure of the, way, of the, right. you know, the direction that they want to go, and he's saying, hey, if you, go, if you vote right way, then you're just one of these people that we don't like. You don't want it. Why would you want to do that?
0: And people don't want to walk around thinking that they're bad. No, who does? I, I don't know anybody who does. It's uh, Dr. Katie Coleman. Certainly not bad. I mean, bad in a good way. Certainly, she's bad. Oh, Dr. Coolman, mm-hmm. bad. Um, but uh, I would love that you come on and you just sort of you know spell that out for us. I know how I felt watching it because I am a MAGA conservative. I'm not a Republican. I'm a conservative. I'm a values guy. I'm not a party guy. So in watching it, he was talking to me. He was calling me bad, and it energized me to make sure I, I will stand in line all day to make sure that I vote in, in the midterms. I think that the adverse reaction the opposite reaction might happen than what they were hoping for. Can that work psychologically that somebody watches that who already is sort of, I lean right a little bit, I'm not maybe a big MAGA person, but now you basically said I was bad for voting for Trump. I'm definitely going to go and vote to take your power away. Can that work the opposite way they, they hoped?
1: A little bit of reverse psychology kind of thing? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Well, and, and take a look. I mean, there's so many Democrats, too, that really do not like how far, you know, just far extreme liberal that the Democratic Party has become like, I mean, look at Tulsi Gabbard, for example, right? Somebody who completely switched sides and and is certainly more conservative now. And and I think that that we're going to see this a little bit more across the board. And People, people, you know, that are center left um, or that are a little bit more moderate, they don't like that kind of rhetoric.
0: Dr. K-U-H-L-M-A-N.com. Go to her website right now, Dr. Katie Kuhlman. That's a great point. Tulsi Gabbard was a reliable Democrat vote when she was in the House of Representatives. She was not somebody who was conservative. She might have been moderate on some things, but she was certainly a liberal, and to her credit— She said, wait a second, I don't like the way this party's going. It's so radical, so extreme, that I've got to speak out. It's almost like Alan Dershowitz, who's also a reliable liberal, voted for Hillary Clinton, never voted for Trump. He actually helped Trump. In one of the cases that were being brought as he was being impeached when he was in office, that really can be the end result. You take people who are kind of leaning, even those moderate leaning left, center left people are going, I can't vote for these people because they're radicals. So is there a good chance, and I guess you just said this, that they're overplaying their hand?
1: I think so. And and I think that we're going to see that in November.
0: I agree with you. It's Doctor Coleman. I want to bring something up that was on your Instagram. I'm not going to give you a hard time about Instagram because I guess somebody was was killed. Another officer killed in the line of duty. Uh, was this close to where you are in Arizona?
1: No. This, so this was not in Arizona. This was um, in Arvada, Colorado. Right. Um, and when I wor- lived and worked in Colorado, um, the Arvada Police Department, I worked very, very closely with them. And actually, their uh, their deputy chief texted me the morning it happened to tell me that uh, to tell me what occurred. And so it's it's horrific and very sad.
0: I don't I know that you won't react to them and change who you are because of it but do you get attacked because you hold police up on high you're somebody who works with with first responders these people go through stresses that I'll never understand as a talk show host and my job's pretty stressful but nothing like what they face I've got law enforcement in my in my um, uh, my family my dad was a firefighter so in in dealing with these people every day I know how much you care about them and you want to bring them good health uh, both physical and psychological health do you get attacked because you're a firm supporter of police?
1: <laughs> uh not too often. Um, there there's been there's been times, you know, uh, they, uh up been called racist or uh, they, call, they like to say bootlicker um, but but by and large, you know, people can attack all they want, but, it, you know, I, I believe in the work that they do. And, and actually, a friend of yours, Sheriff Lamb, down here in Pinal County, Arizona, um, I work closely with his agency, and actually, they had a quadruple homicide uh, the day before Labor Day. Oh, wow. Um, the, the, the stuff that these officers go through day in and day out is horrific. And so, for me, it's an honor to be able to support them.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up uh, Sheriff Lamb. He's a huge fan of yours. I mean, we had a good, long talk about you. <laughs> He's not very happy with your Instagram feed, usually, either. But, no, we'll talk about that again some other time but but he's a big supporter he says you've been so helpful working with you has been just a dream um for me it really comes to light when you hear what some of the officers have to say that had to go and see the aftermath of Uvalde I can't even imagine that there, there are 19 dead children, two dead adults. These people were just there to, to learn. And it was almost the last day of school, a few weeks left of school. Um, and, and for a law enforcement officer to go in there, and it's a very small community, Uvalde, Texas. They walk in there and they see, I mean, this guy was like beheading people. This guy was a really bad guy who did that, that act. So h- how do you talk to somebody who faces that? Because in our usual lives, we don't expect to see death and mayhem. They signed up for it. So I'm not, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have expected it but it becomes a different reality when you really see it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, is that when it comes to something that's that horrific, right? I mean, it's, this is not your run of the mill officer involved shooting where you're responding to a, you know, a domestic violence call and, you know, when things kind of go awry, this is, this is a mass casualty incident and you you really cannot mentally prepare for that. Uh, I mean, you can go through all the active shooter training in the world. you can, you can you can go through even higher high fidelity training where you're kind of practicing in a school or something like that. But um, like the emotion when you're in something like that, you know, you and I talked about too, like when officers enter a school and people have been shot and they're seeing kids on the ground screaming and crying for help their their, their job in that moment is to neutralize the threat and they have to step over those kids that are crying and asking for help so that they can go find that shooter. And like that, that, that is so hard on anybody that has kids, of course, and, and anybody else with, any kind of conscience you
0: know she does an amazing job you'll see her on Newsmax often, also on fox uh fox news on the jesse waters show i think you did a great job with that it's dr Katie coleman go to dr com and go find out more about her um let me just ask you one more thing and this sounds nuts but because these aren't the topics that we planned but but i just love bouncing stuff off of you when we talk about that school shooting specifically you had a commander who screwed up big time he really just did the wrong thing. He made the wrong call. They didn't even try the door, which was unlocked. They were looking for a key they didn't need. You have this uh, door that was either propped open or wasn't you know, properly closed is how the bad guy got in. But once the, the on-scene commander, he's now fired. He's gone. He was the chief of the school district police. But uh, when he says, don't go in, it's now barricaded gunman. It's no longer active shooter. You know, I said, many people have said, I don't care if I'm a cop there, I'm going in. I'm not going to listen to him. When the chain of command is set up at a police department, that's a real thing. You've got to listen to the on-scene person. You've got to listen to the, to, to the top dog. If the FBI shows up and says, we're in charge now, you've got to listen to what they say. So what about the psychology of an officer? There were 18 others besides him. There were 19 in the hall that could have gone in at any time. And then, of course, the, 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 the Border Patrol guy, the attack guy, goes in and shoots and kills the bad guy, thankfully. But what about the mentality of those who didn't go in who were subordinate? Did they do the right thing? And I ask you that just in the line of succession or in the hierarchy there. I know that I wanted them to go in and many of them wish they had gone in. But in listening (laughs) to your commander, that's sort of what you're taught to do
1: well exactly and so what we call this is actually we call it moral injury is that um and a lot of times it actually contributes to to higher rates or more severity of ptsd because you're right there there's an obvious chain of command and when you go through training whether it's uh, military or law enforcement you're taught very strictly to follow that chain of command and if you don't follow chain of command you're going to get in big trouble and so in that moment when you've got somebody telling you what to do you 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 have a decision to make. Do you follow the rules or do you do what you think is right? And most people in those situations are probably going to follow the rules and what their commander says because they've been on the job a longer time, they yeah. have more experience or what have you. Hey. And so a lot of those officers that didn't go in, they're, they're feeling horribly guilty. And I, I guarantee it because knowing what they know now, their decision probably would have changed. But what they have to be thinking about is in that moment with the information they had, did they do what they thought was best? Probably yes.
0: It's a great point. And a lot of these officers are going back on the job. Um, the, again, the commander is gone, thankfully. He's, he was also elected to the city council. He's off the city council too. But a lot of these other officers will go back to work. What do you, On day one, if they say, hey, doc, help me out. I'm going back to work today. I want to make sure my, my, my mind's straight. What do you say to him?
1: I would say you need to just be aware of yourself and how you feel at every single moment. Um, Rely on your training. Rely on your gut instinct. That's usually going to be the the best course of action. And to recognize that um, just to kind of not necessarily second guess, but to to think critically about every situation and recognize that you're probably more competent than you realize. Um, And just to continue to, to You know, take deep breaths, take breaks when you need them, because if they're back if they're back on the job after something that horrific, um, there's going to be a lot of triggers and they're going to have to learn to manage those.
0: Dr. Katherine Kuhlman, go to com. go check her out on Fox, check her out on Newsmax, does a great job, and she works with with law enforcement and firefighters, first responders all the time, and, and and you actually said you're getting busy, you're doing that work too, which is great for our communities. Let me just bring up this Portland story, Portlanders are taking precautions to avoid being attacked in response to rising crime. See, I've got a problem sitting here in Texas, watching the, the denigration or the the disassembling of these great cities, Seattle, Portland, other cities, Philadelphia, Chicago. So when Portlanders start getting afraid because crime is on the rise, my answer generally is, but you're voting in idiots. You're voting in people that don't care about your safety or your security. They're letting Antifa run roughshod in the town. So I, I get they don't want crime. I get they want safety and security for their families, but it's sort of a result of what they've done. They voted these people in. I know that I'm more harsh than you would be in what you do for a living. What would you say to them if they're complaining about crime? I mean, isn't the answer voting better people? Isn't the answer making sure that you support safety and security and don't say dumb things like defund the police?
1: Right. Um, yes. And you're right. Like if if I had a patient in my office right now that was saying, I probably wouldn't say, well, Hey, this is your own fault.
0: (laughs) You're Um, stupid for voting that way. You wouldn't say that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But but I also, you know, what I, what I think about is like the way that people in these cities, the way that they think about who they're going to vote for is not how you and I think, um, like when we think about what our values are and, and, you know, I, I put myself and my family first always. Yeah. Um, and, and everybody and maybe that's selfish. I don't think so. But I always am going to vote in my own self interest um, first. And I think I think a lot of liberals put other people before themselves and their own self interest without recognizing how negatively impactful it's going to be. They think that they're doing the right thing by throwing, you know, more money at the homeless and saying like, just do drugs in the street, it's fine, it's cool, uh, we don't wanna arrest you. They, they think it's, I think they truly believe that that's like the best thing. And they don't think about the long-term repercussions.
0: I, I love that you said that. They think differently than we do when they're going to vote. And it's not selfish for us to vote in our own self-interest and for our community safety because for the simple fact that they are going to represent us either in the mayor's office, city council, House of Representatives, Senate, whatever. They're going to represent us and representing me means you're going to represent my feelings and I hope, or my values. And I hope that more people in my community feel the same way as I do. If not, then I'll try harder next time to get somebody else elected. But having said that, it's almost as if they don't realize it's going to come back and bite them. And let me let me use this as an example. And maybe maybe the last, last answer on this, because I've taken up more of your time than I probably should have. Um, when you see the mayors of New York and D.C. and Chicago and soon-to-be Philadelphia complaining about my governor here in Texas sending a bunch of illegal aliens to their cities, these cities have said they're sanctuary cities. We want everybody, whether you've got documents or not. But when the reality shows up on their front doorstep, like seven thousand people in New York. That's it. We get that every day, Katie, on the on the border here in Texas. So seven thousand show up in New York, and Eric Adams freaks the hell out. Oh my God, this is horrible. This is racist. This is fill in the blank. Uh, Bowser in in Washington D.C. wants money from the feds and National Guard to help her deal with this. Isn't this what they said? What they said they wanted? This is like the voters in Portland. They voted in what they wanted. They got what they wanted. Now their lives are changing for the worse. And they're complaining about why are my lives changing for the worse? It's kinda it's kinda strange, isn't it? Do they not see what the end game could be of their decisions?
1: I I think that if it's not Front and center on their doorstep, they kind of don't care.
0: Wow. Um,
1: I'm Well, you're in Texas and, and I'm in Arizona. Like, I'm kind of sick of non-border states' complaint. You know, just pretending that the issue, you know, on the border doesn't exist. Yes. And now, now it now it does for them, and it's the greatest troll move ever by Governor Abbott. And yep. I, I like kind of enjoy watching it, to be honest. <laughs> um, but it is. It's like it it puts it puts it right in front of their faces, and now all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, we can't handle this. Come
0: on. It's kind of crazy because they all said they wanted it. They're all sanctuary cities. Now everybody's a racist. Everybody's no good. And one person in Washington actually said last week, we've become a border town. Like, it's a horrible thing. I thought that you were cool with border towns. Katie, I could talk to you for two days. Let's do this again very soon. (laughs) Um, It's Dr. Katie Kuhlman. Go to com. Thank you so much.
1: Always. Anytime.
0: All right. We're back after this. Stay right here. This is The Joe Pagg Show. Really glad that you stopped by. Do me a favor, stop by JoePags.com. No time for pop culture tonight. I took that away from Polo. I apologize, brother. We'll get you some time tomorrow night. Uh, Got to get out of here for now. Tomorrow, another big program coming your way. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Go to JoePags.com. All the links and all the videos. See ya.
1: This is the Joe Pags Show.